you mentioned Reaper. Did you listen to the Bombcast from this week? They were talking about Reaper, and I totally forgot how long it's been around, I guess, because it's becoming much more popular now. Mm-hmm. But it was actually, that's what they used to author rock band songs. I totally forgot. Yep. Yeah, like, and I just thought that was interesting. Uh, I was talking to a friend the other day. This is a friend I used to play a lot of video games with when we were younger. We played a lot of Minecraft together. That makes sense now totally because we also grew up together. I've known him since I was in like third grade. We played a lot of Legos together. Now I understand why we love playing Minecraft together. Giving this realization right now. I really am. (laughs) Not even joking. And Cossacks, which is like a 90s RTS game. Cossacks? Cossacks. It kind of looks like old Age of Empires graphics, but earlier, I think, or similar (laughs) types. But uh, I was talking to him. He was like, Yeah, I'm going to set up like a realm soon for. He's been continuing a world we were building when we were coming up together playing Minecraft. Oh, nice. And it's a whole hand-built city. It's incredible. But he's been building years on top of it. It's gigantic. Like, I can't wait to see it. But he was like, yeah, how are we going to like talk to each other or whatever? And I was like, oh, we can just use like Discord. And he was yeah. like, what's that? And this is when I realized... I don't know how to explain what Discord is to somebody <laughs> without showing them. <laughs> Me and Austin have talked about this before. If they're not it's... like a gamer gamer, because he's not really a yeah, gamer. Yeah, yeah. But like, Does he know what Slack is? No. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say gamer business, like a startup businessman. <laughs> it's it's so, like yeah, a... if you know what Slack is, yeah, you can think it's Slack clone. <laughs> it's like but a if... message and image board exclusively by people that you allow it to have access to and then also Skype, I guess. Like Yeah, I was like, like it's kind of like Reddit but Skype. Yeah, that's probably <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good explanation. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I don't really know how to describe it to you. I was like, just check it out. Like here, like just download it and I'll show you. Yeah, how just to, like, invite them to the, the server yeah. and then see. It feels like Discord has been around so long, even though it hasn't just because of how fully integrated we all got into it so fast. Oh but that, like incredible. somebody jumping into it now out of nowhere would probably be Yeah. Like it's one of the most useful tools in my life. No me and too. actually, like, the only reason I still have uh, Facebook is because I like looking at the memories because anxiety has destroyed my memory. <laughs> so I like having a trigger for my memories. That or that's, alcohol the, that's the only way it works anymore. Yeah. And I have oh, Facebook like Messenger. This day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see it and I'm like, oh, I, re- I did that. Uh, yeah, but what if it's stuff you don't want to remember? Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of statuses from 2010 that are just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that Facebook for a while, your statuses were pretty much aim away messages. So, yeah, like, absolutely. I would look up and it's like 10 years ago you said is going out for the weekend I was like why the fuck did uh, <laughs> like I totally forgot what it used to be I know. Now. Yeah, hold on. it's like oh I'm going away for the weekend and nowadays I'm like stand up stand up now is the time to rise up everybody capitalism is falling apart and we well, need you know, in, in 10 more years in the apocalypse you can look back and be on this day it's like oh this is when we could have done something about it <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. That's sad. Um, yeah. To use Facebook Messenger, you don't have to have the actual Facebook app, but it's like an excuse. It's like, why well, am I going to use Messenger and not the actual app? Yeah. So I've been trying to use Discord exclusively to talk to Discord people. Discord needs an event yeah. like feature. And be gone. That's, that, yeah. Like, I have nothing left. Nothing holds that's me That's what there. Facebook's for. And it holds me to that awful fucking platform. <laughs> have you like, used Skype much recently? Skype d- kind of sucks. Does right clicking and hitting exit on oh, my on work computer's count? <laughs> yeah, so when it fires. So it's hilarious. Microsoft, they used to have Skype and then Skype for business. Oh, yeah. And they got rid of Skype for business and transitioned it into something called Microsoft Teams, which is Discord. Oh, really? made by Microsoft. Does the UI even look? Using the Skype voice codec (laughs) for the talking. Oh, so it's Discord, but people sound worse? (laughs) While simultaneously trying to make deals with Discord and integrating like (laughs) Xbox Live into it and stuff like that. I used to use Skype for a while, and then like you realize after Discord, you go back 
back to Skype and you're like, why does everybody sound like they're on a walkie-talkie in the Korean War? It's like, incredible. It's, <laughs> you, you take for granted how quality that fucking audio yeah. interface is. And then Unless you're using Linux. Also, you take for granted how much Discord Sorry, Andrew. saves your conversations. Yeah. yeah. Skype yeah, doesn't yeah. do that. Yeah. There are gigs. There's got to be gigs and gigs of images in our <laughs> our Discord channels like me. Yeah. It don't, like, it, that, it'll get like really fucked up and laggy if you just try and scroll as far back oh, as possible. Oh, by the way, I was on my phone this is at Thanksgiving. <laughs> oh, sorry, Christmas. Me and Mel were down visiting my family, and I was trying to scroll back to the beginning of like the, the first the garbage post channel. Garbage I swear, I'm not even joking. I was scrolling like finger atop of screen, yeah. scroll, zipping through it for like an hour zip in all real time. Down. Fifteen real minutes <laughs> Holy almost shit. to get to the top. That's just like. That's years. That's three years yeah. of us like posting just like constantly. What was channel. the first post? Do you remember? I have no fucking juicy? clue. No, it was, it was something like the... from me or Jason because like that early days was just like me and him like <laughs> just back and forth. <laughs> you, got, you should pin the first message. Be like, it all began here. <laughs> so what's up, my fellow blocks? This is Hot Button. I'm Randall Beatrice. We're up in the queue are Austin Blakesley and. Mm. Chris Which one am I? On Antoine. We already did this joke. Never mind. It's been, it's been a hot minute. <laughs> do you remember? I'm a T block. Uh, do you remember that fucking? Was it last year or the year before when there was that hoax going out about the Tetris pieces having names? Yes. But it was clearly photoshopped. But like Jeopardy took that information and actually used it on their show. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I do remember that. <laughs> yeah. And now. And that's why the Russians gave Alex Trebek. <laughs> So, I was about to make a cancer joke, and then I stopped myself, and now That's here- why I framed it like the Russians did it, because it's not as funny, if you just say it. It's true, I guess. No dignity that they're Jeopardy. Getting wrong answers. But if my choice of language wasn't enough, we are back with part four of our Tetris series. Part four. Can you guys believe it? Yeah, Finally it's been made a fucking it. month, I can't believe it. Yeah. We're doing one part for every Tetris block. <laughs> How many are there? Seven. <laughs> seven parts. No, this will be our finale today. This so is bullshit. We should have done seven parts. Everyone get comfortable. Obviously, that little break in between was kind of nice, but now it's time for me to get crazy again with the complete history of the little puzzle game that could and did. Where we last left off was when a very vengeful vice president of Nintendo of America, Howard Lincoln, under Minoru Arakawa, was on the offensive to the head of Atari Tengen. Is that the guy for the slaves? Uh, I don't think so. Howard Lincoln? <laughs> they named a car after him. Brotherhood. Oh, uh, okay, sorry. Head of Atari Tengen being Hadouke Makajima, ordering them to immediately cease all Tetris-related matters here on out as Hank Rogers had finally obtained the home console and handheld rights of the game for his company, Bulletproof, from the Russian Elork, accomplishing this by working with the man at the top, Nikolai Belikov, as well as befriending the title's creator, Mr. Alexei Pageant. I found my Game Boy copy of Tetris the other day. Yeah? You booted it up? I was going to bring it and play it while we were podcasting <laughs> and just let the music in the play meantime, in the I background. I also found our copy of the Tetris. Yes, which will make it into the script later when I get into that, which yeah. thought that, that was awesome to see. I was just like, oh, I'm going to take a picture of this instead of the real. I don't have like, the case or anything. It's just the cartridge. Still, but... hey, I wish I had mine. But this tactic, of course, left Andromeda owner Richard Stein to the rest of the home PC and arcade rights, arcade rights that Sega now had in conjunction. All while the Maxwells were more or less left in the dust, Jim Machinage, along with Phil Adam and Gilman Louis, race for more Tetris. Unfortunately, 
for them ended with both Mirasoft and Spectrum Holobyte to have nothing more beyond their initial computer releases in their respective regions. Nice. What would you say about the Andromeda? They weren't doing so good? It's uh, another failed gaming adventure based around the Andromeda. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they were not, that was the first one. <laughs> they weren't failed yet, but this basically just put a stop to them becoming I just more to, I just wanted to shit on Bioware. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, get on I'm it. all for it. <laughs> <laughs> Back at Nintendo, everyone is excited and getting ready for the launch of the game on both the NES and the upcoming phenomenon, the Game Boy. This Never in- heard of it. <laughs> this included it's like a phone, the- but three times as big. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> That's it's like, like it's chunky. It's like the Atari Lynx, but not in color. <laughs> It's like a PSP, but you turn it sideways. <laughs> <laughs> this included the Big Ends Japan president, Hiroshi Yamauchi, and Game Boy designers, Satoru Okada and Gunpei Yokai, the latter who would tragically later die in a car accident less than a decade from here. Doesn't Yokai mean ghost? <laughs> <laughs> Millions were to be... <laughs> Millions were about to be had. Thank you, Austin. <laughs> I'm just spouting facts. <laughs> well, unless you count poor Alexei and his team of Dmitry Pavlovsky and Vadim Garismov, millions were not about to be had. Not to mention the soon-to-be-fucking-crazy psychologist, Vladimir Pokhilko. None of them were seeing any of the success the others were making money on. At least... They weren't about to be screwed with lawsuits, though, like our folks at Tengen, who were prepping for their own launch for the NES in the form of Tetris, the Soviet mind game. Okay, is everybody caught up and ready to get back into it all? Yeah, there's a lot of good names. There is. The story. <laughs> so let's roll, or uh, flip, or rotate, or whatever. So only a couple weeks. I hate it. It's only a couple it. weeks after their not on a boo boo, you're about to get fucked message from Howard Lincoln to Atari. The Mario guys would return with even more fire once again, this time going public. The next month, after where we left off, on April 6th, this is 1989, Nintendo of America would put out an official press release announcing their partnership with the USSR, complete with an image depicting Mario shaking hands with a decorated Soviet general, while the phrase, <laughs> superpowers reach exclusive agreement, written in bold font up at the top. Which <laughs> Austin, you have to use to Japan? <laughs> Hold on. You guys keep talking. I'm going to Google this. <laughs> okay. It last, is out there, I promise. I That's the last phone. time an Italian shook hands with a Russian before that the Russian was strangled in the Italian in World War II uh, all while the text at the bottom would read about how Tetris was going to be coming to the NES so hyperbolic in all these press releases <laughs> I love it I always picture the Soviets being very serious obviously yeah. it's just so cold and scary it seems that everybody from Russia is very serious <laughs> which I, obviously is probably very untrue but uh, just the idea of like an actual decorated yeah. Soviet officer being like what the fuck is this <laughs> You definitely don't associate the culture with, like, a a riotous sense of humor, I guess. Uh, Literally only a day after this, Atari Tengen would reply, which I am now going to read exactly as it was written. This response, by the way, was very similar to the one Mirrorsoft and uh, Seth Elorg in the last episode. But it went, oh, wait, before you get to, that's it. That's the one. We gotta use it. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's, no, it's a drawing because nobody would ever. Fu- I nobody would cartoonify this. Yeah, I'm picturing a Photoshop. I know it's the '80s, but like a Photoshop version. Yeah, like he's drawing like an old uh, movie poster while Mario yeah. is like, he just looks like the box art to three. Like, <laughs> gotta save it. <laughs> Good job. 
<laughs> but the message read, We are in receipt of your letter and frankly are quite confused. As Nintendo is known since last year, Tengen received all NES rights to the game Tetris in early 1988. These rights are, in Tengen's view, clear and unequivocal. <laughs> Of course, behind the scenes, though, they were shaking in their boots. A week later, and this information is publicly out there, they filed for a copyright application for the game to try and collect everything they had. That way they'd be more prepared to bring Nintendo to court when they would sue them only another day later. How could they have a copyright to it, though? And I they love, don't. They were trying to apply to exactly. get it. <laughs> and also, like, how could they even get one? And B, you know, the convoluted rights to creating this on a computer, those convoluted rights are as clear as any other rights could be. <laughs> yeah, they had to say that, you know. Yeah, it's like these rights are as clear as possible. Okay, so what's the computer mean? Well, it could mean this or this <laughs> yeah, or this. You know, that's exactly. why we're doing it. <laughs> Yeah, sounds very clear. <laughs> yes. The lawsuit header read for, quote, infringing on their licensing deal. This is the one Nintendo bit back with. And there was a lot to lose for them here. Atari had pretty high expectations that their set-to-be-released Tetris the Soviet Mind game was going to be the big thing that would bring them to compete alongside Nintendo again. We actually haven't talked too much about that version yet, other than the multiplayer I brought up last time, but this specific title had quite a bit going for it, honestly. It was completely built from scratch, with the lead designer being Ed Locke, the dude that made Super Breakout, Centipede, fucking Gauntlet... He even was the co-creator of Asteroids with Lyle Rains. This wasn't a rush job, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Also, I wonder, I wonder if it had anything to do with the Blastroids as well. I don't know. This game's going to be huge. <laughs> it's going to be like Pac-Man, except no guys are biting things that has come from the top, and there's blocks. <laughs> Wait, so you'll shit you your rem- pants. You remember our games. <laughs> <laughs> and even the marketing campaign for this was pretty heavy at the time, too. They paid for commercials, magazine ads. They had a full pager in USA Today. Yeah, I, I make that joke because Atari is irrelevant, but it's like, this is obviously a time when they very were not no, irrelevant. yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it was funny because they were probably trying to win back some of their clout as well because there was still a bit of finger-pointing left from the video game crash on them. But they also brought the title to CES, the game's second time there, technically, as we recall from episode two of the Star Wars-like saga. Their president, Randy Browlett, we haven't really gotten into him much yet, the but pod race. I know, I was just saying, <laughs> <laughs> that was episode one. The one with the CG clones yeah, fighting but that the CG was the robots. Fourth one made. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was fully behind it, especially after his changes to make everything more Russian themed again. After the Blander Mirrorsoft version lacked it, this was the box that had the iconic Saint Basil's Cathedral on it, which, funny enough, would almost be just as memorable in a lot of the minds of if people. You want to see that box? Myself included. Check out the thumbnail I made for episode two. Exactly. Yeah. Which is funny because, yeah, it's like the official box art for Tetris, quote unquote. That's what you more associate with the Game Boy version rather than the NES one. So records show that there were 300,000 units produced for their first run. Which, speaking of, let's talk about release day. Well, no 80s launch would be complete without a wild 80s launch party. Tengen rented out the Tea Room in New York City and invited tons of press and industry vets alike to party it up and drop some blocks and drinks. That's right, in the middle of their rights lawsuit, they just said, fuck it, we're going to put it out. We're putting out our Tetris. (laughs) In May of 1989, Atari Tengen's Tetris was on the shelves, black slanted cartridge and all. And shit, did it do well, critically and commercially. Sales had numbers at about 150,000 copies in the first week alone. 
Woo! That's half their first wave of inventory already gone. And the reviews were even better. Later retrospectives would often put this version of Tetris on NES top list while often fully omitting Nintendo's own. Yeah, that pretty much seems to be universally accepted. That I mean, I never the played version is better than the. Yeah, I never played Tangan Tetris, but the NES one's not the best. It's not great. It's yeah. all right, but you know when you compare that to the Game Boy ones and even some of the PC ones. Well, isn't the, like yeah, the, the Game Boy ones like obviously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this show really pissed off the ball grabbing Howard Lincoln, who flew back to Moscow for some backup. Remember before, as part of the deal, Elorg was going to have to come to the defense if any more imposters out there happened to show up. The team of lawyers was getting assembled, and they interviewed pretty much everyone from our character list. Alexei, Belikov, employees from both Russian companies, you name it. Robert Stein's contracts were also all run through as well. Then, on June 15th, a month later, Atari Tengen would face off against Bulletproof and Nintendo in the U.S. District Court of California. The judge was even Fern Smith, the exact same judge who was presiding over the other case between Atari Tengen and Nintendo in regards to all the rest of those unlicensed carts that we brought up before. Both companies filed preliminary injunctions to restrain the other from a course of conduct. They each wanted to stop the opposite party of everything in its tracks. Atari, of course, arguing that their deal with Mirosoft under Maxwell from Andromeda was valid. They claimed that the Russians were, quote, double dipping. <laughs> like they were searching to get more money out of it since they were kind of. St- like with chips? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, Whoa, that's fucked up, dude. <laughs> but remember, they were still kind of the enemy here to us in the, uh, in the U.S. Like Who, Russia? Yeah, I'm saying this wasn't. No, Mario. <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. But Russia, th- this wasn't the hardest sell to an American jury, is what I mean. Nintendo obviously fired back with how the Soviet groups never intended to give any licenses away outside of the PC. And you guys remember that Chris brought up that. With yeah. the what defines a computer. That's what this is all about in the first place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But now the contract was altered. The home computer was defined this time. The Nintendo Entertainment System no longer matched that definition. It sure didn't have no disk drive. At least, you know, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so then a week later, on June 22nd, Judge Verne had reached a verdict. And I think we all know, but Nintendo won. When they came out with the Famicom disk system, did that change things? <laughs> well, yeah. All right. Wait, what were the things that needed? It, it, no, it needed it, a keyboard. It needed a keyboard, a mouse, and a monitor. Yeah. I think a hard drive might have been on there. There was a keyboard and a mouse and a disk drive for the Super Nintendo. <laughs> That's true. Super Nintendo is officially a computer. Mario yeah. Paint uh, <laughs> BM turned the Super Nintendo into the first computer. But Atari Tengen was now officially barred from selling any of their version of Tetris. They even had to return to trial in November the same month Nintendo would be releasing their game. But in the meantime, the once-powerful game publisher had no choice but to recall as many unsold units of the Soviet mind game that they could. This was a huge blow, especially as more cartridges were still in production, too. In total, it is said that over 268,000 copies were collected and destroyed. And this news was out to the public as well. One by one with a hammer. <laughs> it's just one guy in a way. It's just Mario with a hammer from Donkey Kong. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> On one of those <laughs> conveyor belts. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> but people were rushing to snatch up boxes left and right of the shit. Those who had the game rented simply just held on to it, happily paying any fees. After all, Nintendo's NES Tetris wasn't even out yet. So, like, how else were you going to play it? If, you know, like, today, only that first run continues to exist, floating around out there, making it a pretty hot collector's item. I know now that former guest and friend of the show, Melanie Greer, has one. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had mine. Although, even these units won't be as much of an artifact as the home Sega version that we're going to get into real quick. See, at this point, it was quietly revealed that both the Master System and the Mega Drive editions would be canceled as well. They pretty much threw their arms up and tried to step back out of the room before anyone would notice. <laughs> However, the Mega Drive one, I think in the previous episode I may have said Genesis, but, you know, it's the same. Fucking keep your console names in all territories. Like, I mean, we're there now, but this shit, but you know what I mean. But the Mega Drive one, unlike its 8-bit older sibling version, may have accidentally gotten out there in the wild a little bit. Of course, it would take over a decade for some of these to turn up, but it did happen. So, want to guess how many were said to be manufactured before somebody at Sega shouted, Stop the presses and killed it? 125. I'll give you a hint. It's less than Poop Slinger. 12. You're close. 13. <laughs> well, it's said about... One, two, three. <laughs> it's said about 10 copies are known to exist. the wrong way. About 10. And oh, one was even signed by Alexi himself. This copy, by the way, went on to be sold to a private buyer in 2008 for 11,000 euro, who then turned around three years later to post it on eBay for $1 million. Who's the translation between euro and actual money? <laughs> got, got him. Also, how are telling 10 made? What is like some guy get into work, turn on the machine, like, whoa, 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 immediately. And then they like, turn it off. They probably had like builds that, you know, yeah. for like testing purposes. But here's the crazy thing. It's like I've seen pictures of the very few that got out there and they're like fully in the box with like, I don't know if there's an instruction manual, but like it has a label. It's not yeah. just like a, Oh no, I, mean, it, sure. I know, but it's like weird. Like why were those 10 copies made? This $1 million one that wasn't sold, but offers up to 20 grand were offered and rejected. <laughs> It's honestly tough to even say how much just one of these unsigned carts is worth. It's almost priceless, yeah. although it definitely still takes the prize of being one of the rarest games in existence. Luckily, Sega fans would finally get to play the lukewarm version of the title in September of 2019 when it was included as one of the onboard games in the Genesis Mini, similar to what Nintendo did with Star Fox 2 on the Mini SNES. That version Tetris sucks. Yeah, the Genesis controller doesn't really suit well for it. Yeah, it's real bad. Yeah. <laughs> we did play it. We, we booted it up. Yeah, we did. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, hopping back to 1989, let's now talk about a Tetris that is miles better than all these Tetrises. Tetris I. The Game Boy Tetris. Development here was in full swing, especially now that the lawsuit was settled and that the Game Boy was now already out in Japan. Fun fact, <laughs> hitting the market only a day before the verdict. Unfortunately, though, the title missed its launch as being the pack-in game, but just because they didn't make it for their home country didn't mean that they still couldn't try and achieve their original goal for all other regions elsewhere. I.e. the land of fucking massive opportunity <laughs> yeah. for buying garbage. <laughs> and fuck was everybody on the crew hard at work. They had to get the link cable multiplayer working, they had to get the in-game scoreboard working, and most of all, they had to get those sweet tunes flowing. Plus the sounds too. <laughs> 
I like those smack-like sounds that the blocks make in that game. But Tetris for the Game Boy was kind of a master class of mobile audio for the time. And this is when one of Nintendo's most accomplished composers and engineers, Hirokazu Tanaka, was brought on board also. Prior to Tetris, he was probably most famous for arranging the soundtracks to Metroid, Dr. Mario, and one of the Game Boy's other most prominent launch titles, Super Mario Land. He also was responsible for designing the NES's Zapper peripheral. Later, he'd go on to work on the Game Boy Camera and Printer, as well as write music for Earthbound, Pokemon, and Smash Brothers, and also the NES version of Tetris as well. Thus, our favorite Russian tech folklore songs were born with the most famous Type A, there were three, being a retooled version of Korobushka, a song that tells the story of a meeting between a peddler and a girl describing their haggling over goods in a metaphor for courtship. And that goes, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's right? the that's the one. But yeah. it was different, obviously, with the Game Boy. Yeah, it just, just more thirty-two uh, bit sound. <laughs> sound yeah. But yeah, now you all now you all know that. Is this the original? That one's going places. Yeah. Dude, that slaps. <laughs> I like how this is a Russian folklore song, but the picture is still Tetris. <laughs> Tetris is Russian folklore, dude. It is. <laughs> but anyway, they got it done, and the Game Boy was ready to launch in the U.S. of A., this time with a killer app up its sleeve. On July 31st, 1989, Bulletproof's handheld Tetris was finally available to us all, and for us personally, bundled right in. Of course, we all know how it did. I Horrible. Want, I want you guys to guess again, because it's fun. How many copies do you think it sold? This would include both the bundle and individually. More than 10 this time, probably. <laughs> yeah, it is more than 10. God, I don't know. Yeah. Was this 1989? Can so I give you two yeah. guesses? There was only a million people yeah. on Earth, right? 800,000 is my first guess, and 5 million is my second guess. It was... I'm going to go 800,001 and 4,999,599. Well, you're both wrong, because it was 35 million. Holy shit. <laughs> Wait, but that, is that over its lifetime? That's over its lifetime. Oh, I thought you were talking about like right away. <laughs> The thing, though, is that it was only bundled in those first editions of the right. Game Boy. I got one of those. I think I do, too. And I'm curious, what's your guys' experience with the original Game Boy? Oh, the Game Boy. Yeah, like the big, fat, gray, green Not screen. Tetris for the Game Boy? No, well, Tetris as well. Okay, but... here's my experience. Okay. My mom bought me a Game Boy for Christmas, and it came bundled with Tetris. And then later I bought Pokemon. Yeah. And then I couldn't play Pokemon because she stole my Game Boy to play Tetris. <laughs> so then I had to get a Game Boy Pocket so that I could play Pokemon while she played Game Boy Tetris. <laughs> the Pocket was pretty dope, though. Yeah. When you put them side by side, the Pocket is literally, like, less than a third of the size of, uh -huh. like... <laughs> How about you, Chris? Did you play much of, like, the original Game Boy? Or... Yeah. yeah. Uh, Pokemon Red, and was when did Link's Awakening come out? Probably around 90, because Pokemon was 98. Link's Awakening was probably around that time as well. I'd say then, I remember Link's Awakening Awakening before Pokemon, because I remember like my brother.
mother and father, and I'd just be like, yeah, this is like this is my turn for yeah. Zelda. Like, I don't have to watch them the, play fucking gold tape anymore. Like, <laughs> the, the Game Boy is like almost divided up into two areas for me because if you look at a lot of the launch games on Game Boy and then compare them to stuff that was like later in that system's run, they look so different. Like, it mm-hmm. took them a few years to really oh, figure yeah, that to check get, out. Yeah. Like, even Mario Land One to Mario Land Two, it's almost like looking at early 360 or PS3 games and then yeah. seeing how far they got. Yeah, it, like. Yeah, GTA Five is a 360 game. I know. Yeah, <laughs> there's so also insane. this dope Flintstones game where you had to collect bowling balls. I uh, no, yeah, I, <laughs> Wait, I have no idea. What you're was, talking about. It was yeah. the, it was the one for the movie. <laughs> Which it was movie? so much better than the movie. The first one. Okay. It was better than the movie? <laughs> <laughs> Is this the live action movie? Yeah. yeah John Goodman. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And then they went to Viva Rock. Viva Rock Vegas. Vegas, yeah. Wow. They replaced Rick Moranis with Stephen Baldwin. <laughs> That's good. Is that the movie that caused Rick Moranis to retire? Probably. <laughs> I loved that version of Donkey Kong on the Game Boy. A lot of people refer to it as Donkey yes. Kong 94, but I it's get, great. That game rules, too. Yeah. It was like a so much more expanded. Donkey Kong became like a puzzle game. I think it later kind of went on to inspire those Mario vs. Donkey Kong games, but I never actually. I think I'm anti got Donkey Kong. When you just in said general, Donkey Kong, I was you, like, you had a visceral I reaction. Was like I know you don't like the country games. No, I would think I am, might just be anti Donkey Kong. Period. What about Donkey Kong? Something about that first Mario Donkey Kong game rubbed <laughs> me the wrong way. It's relevant to the conversation, but I found both my Game Boy Color. My copy of the original Tetris <laughs> yeah. and my copy of Donkey Konga and the Bongo dr- yes. controller. I do like that you had the atomic weekend. purple, like the, the yeah, translucent atomic game purple. Yeah, yeah I had um, that atomic one too. purple. <laughs> Dope. That one I, was cool. So, to my recollection, me and my brother both got the original Game Boy bundles right before a car trip. What a life this guy has. I, and that's what inspired <laughs> yeah, the. Affording cars and Game Boy. <laughs> it wasn't my car, it was a van. That was like, trips. <laughs> I don't even remember where we went at the time but I like I, Disney World or some shit I don't think we drove to that Disney was the World the moon rich boy <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, I also think from there, my dad was big into buying the worm light and the magnifying attachment. I remember, I don't think I had that until Game Boy Color. Or did they even come out for Game Boy? Yeah, yeah they did. Yeah. I yeah. had this definitely... fucked up thing that you attached to your Game Boy and it made it into like a controller and had a mag- <laughs> it had a magnifying glass I had the that magnifying had lights glass around on. the edge yeah. so backlight the screen. This, there was a peripheral that had speakers on it. I, I think yeah, I had I that too. Oh my God. It was like everything. <laughs> It's just it's, this giant thing. It sucked. I All remember right. I put it on for three oh minutes God. and then ripped like, it off my Game Boy. That has to be in the picture as well. That's like the Tower of Power for, for yeah. the Game Boy. They just Boy. smashed it all together and they called it the Switch 20 years later. <laughs> <laughs> but, like I said, Pokemon and Zelda I remember, but most of my handheld memories come from Game Boy Color. Like, I yeah. remember the clear same, purple same. one. Also, I remember being, it's smaller, right? Which is Oh, yeah. No, yeah, it's tons. Is, you can, yeah. It actually fit in your it pocket. It actually fit in your pocket, yeah. yeah. And I do remember the fucking having the magnifying glass that had, like, the lights on it. Yes, like, yeah. Oh, my God. I found that's a picture of it. Fucking, yeah. It looks like Fallout or something. It does. I loved my original Game Boy, even at the time, that chunky thing that ate batteries like it was its job. It's called the Handy Boy. The handy boy. I just remember playing a oh, lot no. of Tetris on that car trip. And then like you, Austin, my mom also yeah. played a lot of Tetris. It's made as by well. a company called STD. <laughs> so that's, oh. there's that. Ooh. I think I still have my original Game Boy out somewhere with my brother. I probably have his Game Boy and his copy of Tetris. Too. I have my copy of Tetris. I don't have the actual Game Boy though. Yeah. <laughs> that thing's probably been destroyed for fucking <laughs> I traded, generation. I traded my Game Boy in for a color. 
Maybe I did yeah, that because I, cause, cause I had the Game Boy Pocket, so then I gave that to my mom and yeah. then traded the original one for Game Boy Color. Which is funny because like, Pokemon was one of those games that on the Pocket was black and white still, or yeah. uh, black and green or whatever, and then when you played it in color, it was like yeah. had slightly more color. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, like, it was marginal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Back into it. Reviews were obviously also glowing with later retrospectives listing the Game Boy Tetris as one of the best games of all time, with Nintendo Power naming it as the best Tetris period until the DS one was released. I was going to say the DS one's better. Yeah, it is better. Alexi himself even called it his favorite and most faithful to his original build. What, the Game Boy one? Yeah. Okay. But yeah, I agree with you. That DS version is pretty up there for me too. Although now with Effect in 99 kind of fulfilling all my needs, it's hard to go, but it's hard to go back. in 99 Battle Royale. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a lot of great Tetris editions that came out throughout the 90s. Like, I was the like, new Tetris. The new Tetris, which actually that's going to come up in our story a bit, okay. but New Tetris is great. I actually like Worlds quite a bit, which was a little bit divisive at the time. Evolution was good. Of course, I can already hear former guest Chris yelling at me about Battle Gaiden and Grandmaster. Oh, and uh, Puyo Puyo Tetris. Fucking killer game. Stay away from the Ubisoft one, though. Yeah, plus Fuck that new one that came out with phones. Oh, boy. Oh, I've Imagine heard some stuff about Tet- that. You yeah. think you're good at Tetris. What if I told you you could play Tetris with all touch controls where sometimes you go to drop a block and it just <sighs> moves to the left one spot when you do it? Tetris with touch controls sounds like my own personal you version play of it? I have it downloaded. catered to me. No, I will throw your phone. <laughs> but all the success also made Nintendo's case way more clear. No, get away from me. <laughs> get away from me. <laughs> this was when they went back and asked Judge Verne for a summary judgment prior to the November trial. This essentially meant that they could end it all now before it even started. And I guess if you technically have enough evidence ahead of time, you can submit to stop future time and money from being wasted. I don't know. Uh, sounds like something corporations do. <laughs> yeah. The American court system is weird and fucked up. Except, hey, it worked. And honestly, many involved didn't even think it was going to pass. They more just thought, why not? And ended up being surprised when the result came in. On November 13th, the same month in which Bulletproof's Tetris would hit the NES, a ruling was released stating that it was indeed Nintendo who owned the handheld and home console rights to Tetris. Atari, of course, they wanted to appeal. But then later came to the conclusion that it just wasn't worth the fight and ensuing trouble if they were to lose again. Warehouses full of Tengen's Tetris were all disposed of, all while Nintendo's NES edition would go on to sell 5 million units. The war between the two big game giants was now over. Sorry, what did you say? I was playing Tetris. <laughs> when you said warehouses were disposed of, I just pictured Pac-Man lighting a cigarette and throwing a mask behind him. <laughs> Two giant warehouses catch on fire. <laughs> Pac-Man wasn't Atari, not to correct you. Pac-Man? Namco. Namco. Oh, Namco. But, oh, I'm sorry. But Atari Tengen did make a lot of unofficial Pac-Mans, including the Miss Pac-Man, who Namco does not own. Really? <laughs> Namco does not own Miss Pac-Man, yeah. which is why she is A, not in Smash Brothers, and that lawsuit is still going on, it, like, every few years. Yeah, like, we, we should, should do it. We really that. should. I've heard this Miss Pac-Man before. was made by, like, a couple kids oh, at a college. Man. They modded it, and then, like... It, sort of became theirs and yeah. then like Namco kept trying to All buy right. it back but don't, never don't paid them enough. It's, move on with Tetris because we're doing an episode about this. Okay, I wanna, I wanna uh, Some of that could it. be wrong because I'm trying to remember. I'm going to research it. Alright, it's a wild story. <laughs> the, I love uh, Miss Pac-Man. Miss Pac-Man is better than Pac-Man. Game. Yeah, it absolutely is. Including the Tengen Miss Pac-Man. It's fucking great. 
The Game Boy would continue. Is that the Sega one? I think, yeah, because Tengen made Sega games too. Yeah. Didn't they? So th I think Tengen did make a Miss Pac-Man. I mean, we know it wasn't Namco, so it had, it had to be somebody. But the Game Boy would continue its reign as well, and by its continuation in 2003... Holy shit, dude. What? Yeah, yeah, I have this. Yeah, it's killer. That is the one. That game rules. <laughs> yeah, it's <Fuck> awesome. <laughs> or Namco, Namco. Fuck them all. <laughs> Tang is just, you know, it's the man trying to keep Tangin down. <laughs> That's what this, uh, this what whole thing's about. They make better Tetris. They make better Pac-Man. Yeah. They made a better Afterburner. <laughs> Super Sprint. Did they? <laughs> well, they ported this from Arcade. I don't no. know if they ever had other versions of this. I think they, they had their own version of Paperboy, though. I don't know if that one was better. Yeah, Paperboy sucks. <laughs> Hey, I like me some Paperboy. Come at me. Paperboy's garbage. <laughs> but the Game Boy would continue its reign, and by its discontinuation in 2003, had gone on to sell over 118 million systems. Analysts would later go on record as saying that Tetris wouldn't have been what it was without the Game Boy, and the Game Boy wouldn't have been what it was without Tetris. Hold on. When was it discontinued? 2003. The original Game Boy. The original. Well, they might include Pocket and, and Color. color. In that makes there. more sense. Because I think those were still under the same family okay. of consoles as opposed to, you know, Game like, Boy it's Advance. It's like how there's the 3DS. Oh, I can't and keep the 3DS track of that shit. XL, and then the 2DS, and the 2DS XL, and then the new 2DS XL, and the new 3DS. 3DS and the new 3DS XL? <laughs> Did I miss one? I don't know. My pupils just <laughs> went off in different directions. Because <laughs> they considered the Game Boy Advance the sequel to the Game Boy. And the Game Boy Cube, it's just a four-dimensional device. <laughs> you got the screen on every side. <laughs> <laughs> so although it would obviously seem Nintendo and Bulletproof were far and away the clear victors here, everybody involved still saw some sort of profit off the legendary game. Mirasoft, Maxwell, Spectrum Holobyte, Ellor, Atari, even Sega saw money in one way or another. Well, almost everybody. First, there was Richard Stein over in Andromeda, who still had those back royalty payments to catch up on, which he couldn't make. Upon these continued latenesses going through to 1990, he formally lost the PC rights he had fought so hard for. Then following this, he also was forced to let go of the arcade rights too. Again, due to non-payment. Jeez. But it's still said that he made around 250000 throughout the deal, so, you know. Enough about businessmen, though. What about the artists? Yeah! <laughs> oh, businessman. <laughs> well, poor Alexi and his team were pretty much left to their devices, with practically nothing to show for it outside of some title screen credits. The creator was still hard at work at the same place of employment where this all started. Although by this time, he was happily married and a proud father of two kids. Despite this, he would still somehow find the hours to develop more games, including his less memorable, albeit still fun, Tetris sequels. Titles like Weltris, Hattris, and Faces, the last of which he co-created with his psychologist friend, Vladimir. But I love it. He just liked making stuff, even though he got screwed. Yeah, he's like Notch, but not sexist or racist. <laughs> <laughs> and not a billionaire, even though he deserves to be more than Notch. <laughs> Hank Rogers, though... This all just didn't sit right with him, and he wanted to help his friend. The part about him not getting his Tetris dues, I mean, not the family and games part. So less than two years later, in 1991, Rogers assisted in bringing his good buddy and his whole family over to immigrate to Seattle, Washington of the United States. Alexei even brought his associate Vladimir with him as well. 
His old friend and porter, Dmitry Pavlovsky, though, was already on a path to relocate to the United Kingdom. He later was quoted as being very disappointed that his titles in the computer funfair package way back in episode one hardly received any recognition compared to you, yeah, you know what. Better making games, dude. What do you say? <laughs> While young prodigy Vadim Garismov couldn't join in the fun either, as he was still attending his program at the Moscow State University. Don't feel too bad for him, though, as he graduated a year later in 92 and would go on to earn his PhD from MIT a decade later. He never saw much profit from the game, although he remains proud of the work he contributed and is currently, as of this day, employed as an engineer for Google. Modest job. <laughs> Back in 91, Pokilko was continuing to study the psychological effects of Tetris, as well as see over his software company, Animatech International, a studio in which the Alexei Hank duo would help run as well and design games for. Until later that year, on December 26th, something life-changing would happen for all of them. Can you guys guess what it is? We brought it up in a, on a previous episode already, but I don't think we had the um, exact date sniffed out yet. Murder. No, not oh. yet. <laughs> okay. I'm out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> well, on December 26th, 1991... Soviet President Mikhail Gorbachev oh, right. would officially resign. <laughs> I forgot about the fall of the Soviet Union. Oh, yeah. It's technically a murder, if you think about it. Yeah, with capitalism murder. Yeah. With all power as well as control of nuclear launch codes now being handed over to Russian President Boris Yeltsin. And by 7.32 p.m., the Soviet Union was formally announced as dissolved. Upon hearing this news, Pajitnov and Rogers hatched an idea, an idea to get Tetris back. Only problem was Elorg was still technically in the way. See, Belikov was still running the joint, it's just that they were a private company now. And why would they be interested in letting go of their biggest success, right? So what do you do when you have a company and another company has intellectual property that you want, but they won't sell it to you? Now comes the murder. <laughs> not into murder just yet. Nope. You buy them. Right? <laughs> yes. There you go. Well, not the company. Yeah. yeah. No, but yeah. So this is when they thought that a good solution. Well, actually, they kind of had a different tactic first. Oh, okay. They thought a good solution. I just know what the end result is. Sorry to spoil it. <laughs> no, no, no. They thought a good solution to this would be to maybe try and wait them out. Right. The master rights were set to expire in 1996. All they had to do before then was build their case up so the Russian company might be more interested in making a deal with them rather than simply renewing. Right. So, Rogers is formulating their plan. Alexei is now consulting with Nintendo on Yoshi's Cookie. Him and Pokilko also worked on a couple more DOS titles together, including one of a virtual aquarium that saw some moderate success. The latter also settling down to start a family. Elsewhere, Yoshi's though, cookie sounds like a gross sex thing. Someone throw that out there. <laughs> to give him the Yoshi's cookie. Yoshi, what was it? Yoshi K. Koopalingus? <laughs> the giant bomb joke. Elsewhere, though, just to keep the timeline going with some sidebars, it was announced in mid-92 that Jim Mockinage's company, Mirasoft, was purchased by Acclaim Entertainment, the famous American game publisher who would later become defunct by 2004. But hey, he at least got to make some cool flight sims while under them, so there's that. Also, I do believe he did pass away from liver cancer in April of 2013. Not that we have to think about that now, but... Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that was necessary to the story. <laughs> hey, this beats a, like... Having to a, do a where are they now? So yeah. a year from now, this is the part. The this characters. is the part of the yeah. movie where they're playing soft piano and there's just white text appearing under <laughs> pictures of the actor playing the character next to the real person. Yeah, yes. Just so everybody has a visual in their head. Jumping ahead, just imagine a bunch of Russian people. <laughs> 
jumping ahead, or uh, should I say back, Spectrum Holovite was also still doing their thing. At least they lasted until 1998, I believe. But by this point, Phil Adam had stepped down from president there to go work for Interplay, the proud publishers of Earthworm Jim, Games in the Boulder's Gate and Descent series, and also the original Fallout titles. How are they doing? (laughs) (laughs) He remained there until 2004 when he left to open a consulting company based out of California where he resides today. After Phil bounced from Spectrum, by the way, Gilman Louie became the new CEO and stayed there until 93. Now he runs a company called InQtel, in which he also was a co-founder of. Bad name. They're apparently a venture... Should have asked his parents to name the company. (laughs) They're apparently a venture capital firm that invests in providing tech to intelligence agencies. That sounds like a great job to have. (laughs) Not at all evil. Oh, and uh, remember in uh, part three when we talked about the untimely and unusual demise of Robert Maxwell and in turn Maxwell Corp? Yes. Yeah, around here was when all that happened too, except what I didn't mention before was that later in 92, after their closure, son Kevin was put on trial for fraud. He was later acquitted, but it was at one point revealed during this investigation that the company was using employee pensions to pay off debt. Not that it worked, of course, as Kevin still holds the record for the largest personal bankruptcy in the UK's history with over 400 million pounds of debt. If only had those Tetris bucks to help him out. (laughs) That's a lot of money. (laughs) It's stupid to call your money pounds. That was a joke. I'll give it to you. Two years later, we're now in 1994, where we are unfortunately going to say goodbye to another character in our story, this one much sadder. Atari Games president, Hiduke Nakajima, was still in the midst of the legal battle with Nintendo over the antitrust violations in regards to their Tengen brand and carts. However, despite the FTC investigations into the Big N's business practices, in the end, they still lost the case leading to parent company Time Warner to officially fold Atari and Tengen into Time Warner Interactive. A couple months later, on July 11th of the same year, Nakajima would too pass away from lung cancer. Also, Atari would come back after this dozens and dozens of more times, but that's not important. That would take me forever to go through every iteration of fucking Atari. (laughs) But from the other perspective, Mr. Howard Lincoln, he then became chairman of Nintendo of America for a while, partially due to the win against their competitors here. Other than that, though... The uh, win being bankrupt of their company uh, and their uh, CEO <laughs> dying. Yeah. Hey, Nintendo was not uh, about playing fair. And the, uh, I, I don't think I'm going to get too deep into the Nintendo's history at this point as well, just because all that information is already out there and like so well documented. Their changes in leadership and whatnot. Everyone knows what Miyamoto is still up to these days. Who? <laughs> the guy created Pikmin. <laughs> yeah. oh. One interesting thing to note, though, is that during these years, Nintendo did re-up on the Tetris publishing rights once again, putting a hard stop on a couple other titles that were in the middle of development following the Soviet collapse. This was even at first completely unbeknownst to their competitors once again. There was one game called Tetrisphere set to launch on the Atari Jaguar that was affected. Funny thing was, years later it was retooled as an N64 release under Nintendo's banner just to really stick it to Atari one last time. Wow. <laughs> Fucking jerks. I was about to say, I played Tetrisphere. Yeah. <laughs> But what do you say we get back into the tale of our two buddies again? Well, in 1996, five years after the fall of the USSR, 
the pair was ready. Just so we're aware, now this is the sitcom spinoff from the movie. <laughs> yeah. We're past the recap thing. The credits the have rolled. <laughs> it's a year later, and ABC is showing a trailer for Alexei Pizhitnov and uh, Hank Rogers just palling <laughs> they around their adventures together in Seattle. <laughs> yeah, palling around breaking into defunct Soviet universe, <laughs> universities to steal Tetris from a server in the basement. <laughs> I'd watch the, that heist movie. That's the heist that's movie the spinoff <laughs> of the sitcom that's coming later. <laughs> but they packed their bags and flew off for another trip of negotiations, just like old times. Interestingly enough, though, not as much is actually known out there about this meeting. Just that it went well and that it didn't seem to cost everybody much. Honestly, it was probably the most cordial arrangement yet. By the end of the trip, the boys now own 50% of the Tetris property, with Elorg still holding on to that other remaining half. Shortly after this, in the same year, Pagenov and Rogers would team up together and form the Tetris Company, LLC. Based out of Honolulu, Hawaii, the group was to serve as the ultimate overseer Why on Honolulu? anything affiliated with the brand. Well, Bulletproof was based out of Japan, so... Like a tax thing? I thought that yeah. for a second, because that's Maybe, also where Sega got founded, out yeah. of Hawaii, Right, too, yeah, you like, did mention that. Weird. <laughs> but anyone and everyone would have to go through them now in order to license anything Tetris from here on out. Games, toys, greeting cards, Cheez-Its, which I had, lottery tickets, which I didn't have, and I didn't know were a thing until I researched this. Tetris was theirs, and they were never going to let any of that confusing bullshit Dude, all ever happen again. If there were Tetris-themed cigarettes, you'd be dead of lung cancer like three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking it, mark. They all shaped like the blocks. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I thought you meant. You have yeah. a T-block one, you got to light it twice. <laughs> Man, the square would be really... The only normal cigarettes to get are the lime blocks. Or they're just all the lime blocks, but they're just like cigarettes that are blight blue. (laughs) And they're like split up. You put one back in the pack and they all disappear. Yeah. I was going to say it it comes in a pack already like built and like you smoke them as they disappear. (laughs) They also, and I love this would create the official Tetris guidelines that we all know today. This was to, quote, establish... Left, right, up, down, it'll go up. Left, right, down, You can't go up! You say we all know, like, you're not the only one. No, these are rules that you guys know about, too. And how many milliseconds are they allowed in between (laughs) twisting? All right, well, I am going to get super dorky here for this next, like, couple paragraphs. Yeah, for this next couple. Not for the past four episodes, though. Not for the past 53 hours of content. Yeah, we've we've, we've edited a lot out. Hundreds of hours Uh, of content. But this was to, quote, establish consistency and quality standards. And I got that off the timeline on their official website. I do enjoy that the big bullet points in our saga are on there for everyone to see. I did leave some facts out, like certain awards and the game apparently holding the record for the first video game in space or whatever. But, yeah. Oh, and these guideline rules would obviously go on to change over the years, too. The new Tetris, as Austin said, would be the first to add the hold piece. Is yeah. it really? Yeah. That's it's breaking rules. ground. It's famous. Grandmaster would introduce the 20-cell-per-frame hard drop, that quick right down to the bottom. The ghost display came into play as well. How sticky the pieces are would change. Zangi moves kicked off the endless barrage of T-spinning and other slick special moves for the pros out there. And it was great. And you'd be surprised how picky people got about this shit, too. I wouldn't. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. Like when Tetris Worlds came out, players didn't know what to think of the endless spinning, and reviewers tanked it at the time, calling it the game that killed Tetris. Of course, then it would later be modified and adapted into... Every future release forever, and now everybody loves it. 
where it's like they wouldn't stick immediately. You had yeah. like a you know a split second to shift them over. But anyway, back to the Tetris Company. They really hammered down their brand. An official logo was made. The now distinct colors of all the Tetraminos were chosen. Game after game would come out. And for every possible platform they could without exclusivity anymore. Why work with just one publisher when you could work with them all? <laughs> there was cash to make. Everyone was having a good time here in the 90s, except... Except for all those people in the Gulf. <laughs> now they're playing Tetris in between shooting each other. <laughs> then something truly, truly horrible would happen. I know I've been hinting at this since this whole uh, episode train started, but now I think it's time we get into the darkest stuff. You guys ready? Yes. Legend of Zelda 2 came out. <laughs> I like Zelda 2. It was just... It was just... It was bad. It was a, it was a weird Castlevania. <laughs> well, as you probably noticed by now, there was someone else left out of this Tetris Company venture, Vladimir Pokilko. See, the psychologist software designer wasn't particularly seeing the same level of success as our two buddies were back at his Animatech company in San Francisco. Although, they did have much of their struggling staff back over in Moscow, too. So there's a lot to people to worry about. He was apparently like very concerned about like the well-being of his employees. But what was once a promising studio specializing in 3D imaging and asset generation for video games in hope of pursuing, quote, Hollywood-type effects, was now facing dire financial problems, leading them to face shutdown. It's likely that Hank Rogers, who was a chairman and also the largest stockholder, saw the writing on the wall as well. Although later we'll find out. Not so much. Now, it's difficult to say what exactly caused a riff in the friendship so large that it pushed Rogers and Alexei so far away that they wished to pursue a future without Pokilko, intentionally keeping him out of the loop with the Elorg deal. They never really fully commented on it. However, this move, combined with the impending bankruptcy, would tragically drive the soon-to-be-broke Russian man to the absolute brink of insanity. Okay, so I'm going to read this next part as it is, without leaving things out, so just be warned. It's going to get pretty graphic. After this, you'll maybe know why they cut out contact with him prior to these negotiations. But here we go. In the middle of the night on September 21st, 1998, Pokilko's windling mental state truly broke. He then quietly crept into his bedroom where his wife, Elena Fedotova, a popular local yoga instructor, lies sleeping in the bed. Without hesitation, he quickly proceeded to heavily bludgeon her to death with a hammer. Following this, the man then came down the hall into his 12-year-old son Peter's room to do the same. Pokilko then retrieved an 8-inch hunting knife and brutally hatched away at both corpses until leaving a desperate and semi-incoherent note, a suicide note, reading, I've been eaten alive, Vladimir. Just remember that I am exist, the devil, spelled with an A instead of an E. He then returned back to his son's room and sat behind his bed one last time before putting the knife to his throat and deeply slashing it with one hard pull. At 3.30 p.m. the next day, the gruesome and bloody scene was discovered by a close friend who went to check up on the family after failing to reach them by phone. Vladimir was discovered, knife still in hand, sitting next to his now-deceased pajama-clad son while Elena's mutilated body was found a minute later. The friend frantically called police, who promptly arrived and began their investigation. We looked at all possible angles, said Sergeant Scott Wong of the Palo Alto Police Department in an official statement. There were no signs of forced entry, nothing was taken as far as we could tell, and there were 
no signs of a struggle. These observations, combined with locating both weapons and the letter, would formally close the case as no evidence to contradict the clear belief that the tormented man horrifically ended the lives of both himself and his family. Sorry about all that. <laughs> Jeez, but, fuck. Yeah. The news, of course, was a massive shock, especially those in which he worked alongside, as everybody described him as being the most responsible person they knew. Hardworking, but always stable and in control. He never raised his voice. He never got physical. He never even swore. Alexei, clearly distraught, has never spoke publicly about the incident. But when Rogers was interviewed about the heinous crime in relations to the cash problems that caused Vladimir to snap... He would sadly say, we were just in the middle of raising money. It was nothing out of the ordinary, nothing that we couldn't see past the end of. And the worst part is he was right. Just four days after the killings, a Japanese investor at Squaresoft that Pokhilko had met up with a few weeks prior had contacted Animatech for instructions on wiring for their investment into the company, a move that could have, and I have that in quotes, saved lives. But when you're dealing with someone this deranged, then I obviously wouldn't label it as being that simple. Yeah, clearly there was something more at play. When you kill your family before you kill yourself, there's obviously something more going on than just like business distraught. Like, yeah, I, I think that was just kind of the best guess everybody had because they like could not find any other motive at all or any other impenance in his life but obviously there could have been there was so much more going on in his head we'll never know regardless it was a fucking dark day in tetris's history a game that at its core can be such a wonderful and innocent celebration of unity across player bases from all over the world and yet it will unfortunately always have this blacker than black mark on the timeline forever the once revered individual who previously helped study the little puzzle creation while also lifting it up and up into its first limelight would now essentially be erased from its storybooks by the rest of its members. Also, special thanks to Lauren Stein from Palo Alto Online and to Matt Beer and Jacob Prize of the San Francisco Chronicle for helping me find much of that information. So with the book now closed on that chapter... What do you guys say we try to do the impossible task of pivoting from all of that darkness into something a bit more positive again? Please. Well, if, if you're listening, you have to go right away. We can just take a break and come back. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and we're back. Yeah. yeah. Just, that's just Everybody have a sag? By the beginning of the new millennium, the Tetris company was doing real good. Much of this was due to those guidelines and rules that they had set up years prior. Each release was fully oversought by them personally, and each title would help reinforce the idea of what exactly Tetris was, game to game, to the public. Pretty much every element was now copyrighted. <laughs> the playfield dimensions, the next piece, the shape of the blocks, and by now, it was available on just about every single platform imaginable. The Sega Saturn, the Dreamcast, the N64, the GameCube, PS1, PS2, the original Xbox, Windows browsers, gaming handhelds, of course. But there was still now one huge market left to conquer. Remember, all in the early 2000s now. Cell phones. <laughs> So, in 2002, Hank Rogers would establish Blue Lava Wireless to develop the first ever Tetris for mobile devices here in North America. This move would fucking skyrocket the game into a whole new era for a whole new audience of users. In fact, the initial versions would gain so much momentum from this that it would later join in the European and Asian markets as well, becoming the far and away leader in mobile games at the time. That's... I don't know. I don't get that. This is, you know, pre all that storefront garbage we have now. But. This is pre touchscreens still? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. No, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> it's like flip phones. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oddly enough, those 
versions of Tetris were probably better than I'm the, sure they this were. new one. Yeah. Touch, screen, touch controls just don't seem like... Yeah. It's like, what would Nokia Snake be on a modern iPhone? Yeah. Probably trash. I don't know. Dude, I can think of a, like a nice non-square snake. That'd be a cool game. Yeah. <laughs> But Tetris practically had it all now. Leaderboards, a bunch of versions I named, would now all have online modes for people to face each other. Fiercer competitions would pop up. The game became so huge that the Tetris company would soon have its biggest contract offer yet. In early 05, a company called Jamdat, later purchased by EA Mobile, would buy Blue Lava Wireless and obtain an exclusive worldwide 15-year license to all forms of Tetris on every mobile device. They were in the money now, <laughs> which was perfect for them, as the word would break later that Elorg was shutting down. It was finally their chance to own 100% of the title once and for all. Of course, they'd be looking to sell in that condition. Yeah. But you were right. <laughs> we just didn't, we had to get all the way to 2005. Well, Alexi and Rogers gathered their things and made one last vacation over to Moscow to end it all where it began. And after fast negotiations, the remaining rights were acquired and Tetris was now fully theirs. It only took 21 years for our creator to truly own what was rightfully his from the start. (laughs) (laughs) And what did he do with such power? He sold it. He split it with his good friend that helped get him there. Of course. Right down the middle, too. Pajanov opened a new company, simply titled Tetris Holding, LLC, while the other half would go to Hank Rogers' Blue Planet Software Company. They were what Bulletproof ended up becoming. I think I mentioned that in the second episode, but I totally, I guess, underestimated their Tetris affiliation then, considering they are now 50% of it. Uh, But yeah, the pair still remain good buddies to this day. Rogers is very focused on various charities and advocacy groups dedicated to clean energy for Hawaii. He even in 2015 used his Blue Planet Foundation to lead a campaign to have the state be the first in the U.S. with a 100% renewable energy law. Nice. Other than that, he continues to serve as chairman of the Pacific International Space Center for Exploration Systems and is also owner of the Hawaii Space Exploration Analog and Simulation, whose core mission is to develop and grow an aerospace industry in Hawaii through applied research, workforce development, and economic development initiatives. I'll use this picture. Aw, look at those buddies. <laughs> also, you mentioned uh, Notch before. Like, uh, see what successful video game entrepreneurs can be when they're not total fucking shitheads. What's the other guy that Notch made do all the work? The actual work. The fuck is his name? Is he a good dude? I don't know if he's a good dude, but uh, there is... Some with a J, right? Yeah, his whatever his partner was. The guy who, like... Pretty much added all like the crafty things what to made Minecraft. It, like yeah, yeah. yeah, what it is. And he was like one of the, like the lead, like just actual like on the ground fucking. Pro- I don't know how much work Knox actually did programming. But. <laughs> so what about our main man Alexi? Well, he was actually employed by Microsoft for a while, going on to work on such titles such as the uh, Microsoft Entertainment Pack and the Hexic games. Hexic HD even becoming so popular that it began to be included in every new Xbox 360 premium package. Yeah, I was about to say, I remember, like, that's like, you just get that game. Yeah, yeah. I played that game for a bit. It was kind of cool. Yeah, Yeah. it's just a cool puzzle game. Yeah. That's funny. I like that he continued making just, like, kind of, like, wholesome video games. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Just just fight all this, uh, outside of a 
occasional game development, though. Patching he wrote off. Deus Ex and <laughs> Whoa, that's crazy. Patching off does stay relatively quiet these days. Much of this could be due to his son, Dimitri, named after his old friend from the original team, tragically being killed in a skiing accident off of Mount Rainier in 2017. Oh, that's rough. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine how devastating that must have been. So, you know, my heart goes out to him and his family. As for Tetris, it, along with its creator, would continue to live on growing more every day and touching the lives of those who interact with it all around the globe. Many outlets, conferences, and awards groups often recognize it as giving birth to the casual games industry and genre. This year, it will hit its 36th anniversary and surpass 500 million in individual sales and downloads across its 215 official variants on over 65 different platforms, Jeez. making it the most played video game product in existence. Nice. <laughs> Those writing in the industry would also later honor the franchise in numerous ways, such as by placing it near the very top of copious amounts of all-time lists. Next Generation, Game Informer, EGM, IGN, even the New York Times named it as one of the most most important video games ever made. At GDC in 2007, the Library of Congress officially took up the video game preservation proposal, having yeah, Tetris yeah, included was, on their yeah. first run, a list that also hosted SimCity, Mario Brothers 3, Doom, and Warcraft. Hang them with all the big boys. But you guys will find this pretty interesting. It also went on to be heavily studied as well, post Pokilko's work and experiments. It was used for research in several fields, including the theory of computation, algorithmic theory, and cognitive psychology. According to Dr. Richard Hare, moderate play of about a half hour a day for three months of Tetris can lead to a boost of general cognitive functions, such as critical thinking, reasoning, language, and processing, as well as an increase in cerebral cortex thickness. The study states that... Damn. You hear that, ladies? <laughs> Randall's got thick-ass cortex while Tetris is played. <laughs> <laughs> the study states that the more the game is played in a session, the higher brain activity increases, thus making proficient players have a reduced consumption of glucose, which in turn leads to a more efficient mind. See? I told you guys I was a genius. <laughs> so you're telling me if I play more Tetris, my diabetes will get better. <laughs> That's absolutely what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know. I okay. think if Randall's that level... Sounded, that sounded like a long-winded way of saying you're better than me. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think he might be an exception to prove his rule wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Emily Holmes of Oxford University led a group that found some positive results in using Tetris as an aid for victims of PTSD. Upon testing a set of volunteers, the game was able to reduce the number of flashbacks to traumatic material following a week of on and off play. She should play Minecraft if that's what you're trying to get. You just close your eyes and see blocks every time instead. <laughs> Those on the lab team theorized that the sights and sounds had the ability to disrupt certain distressing memories. That's crazy. Professor Jackie Anadrad and John May from Plymouth University's Cognitive Institute conducted, along with PhD student Jessica Skorkid-Brown, their research showed that Tetris could be used as a, quote, quick and manageable fix for those struggling with addiction to food, smoking, and alcohol. Can't confirm that one. Mm. I just made the joke that you were thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another study that was released in 2013 from a Dr. Robert Hess found the game as assistance in treating older adolescents with amblyopia or lazy eye. He was even quoted as saying, it's much better than patching, referring to the person's well eye. It's much more enjoyable. It's faster. And it seems to work better. 
This then led to another successful test in the UK too, this time finding help for younger children. Other fields of science also began to co-opt the title for various testing. Even those in thermodynamics have reported to have had tetraminos used as a proxy to simulate molecules with a more complex shape in order to model their absorption on a flat surface to study the nanoparticles. Yeah, I understood the... a tiny part of that. <laughs> yeah, I can speak English. Tiny I got, part. I got that part. Nano, I get it. <laughs> That's a good one. Something I am more familiar with, though, of course, is the Tetris effect. An involuntary reaction to moving images. Whenever, whenever you play Tetris, never mind, just, just cut it out. <laughs> Even when the player has already turned the game off. While debates of this unusual trait continue, there are researchers that viewed it as a, quote, milestone in the gamification of education. Speaking of, the actual titles themselves, and this is coming from me since jumping on board with the Game Boy, have never been better. Getting nominated and winning awards, the likes of which the franchise never saw before. Like, Effect is one of the most beautiful games I've ever played, and almost an undescribable VR experience. Well, 99 actually is making me understand why people are not only into Battle Royale games, but also into the tactics of aggression competition as well. It can be fun. 99 is cool. It also looks beautiful. Both (laughs) of those games are very, very, very pretty. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unless you have the Fire Emblem background. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no more Fire Emblem. <laughs> that actually, that skin on that game is great because it makes the music all like elegant sounding rather than having Fuck to hear Mr. the Fuck Mr. Game & Watch. They should have put the Tetris Blocks character into Smash. <laughs> I think some music from Smash is in, yeah. uh, or some music from Tetris is in Smash, but that's about it. But I think that is it, you guys. That is the full story of Tetris. The highs and lows of a tale containing almost every plot element in the book. Yeah, it was a fun. <laughs> Thank you all for allowing me to do this. Thank you to those that put in even more research by finding some of these hard-to-locate facts. To you, gaming historian, who hopefully got my email a few weeks back so we can get into having some more sources up. I think in the first episode, we joked about wondering if there had ever been a book published about all this, and I did actually find that there have been two more notable ones that often get referenced on those pages floating around. Nice. One, I believe, is simply called Tetris, while the other is, interestingly enough, titled The Tetris Effect. The game that hypnotized the world. Tetris obviously means so, so much to me. I love it dearly, and everything I say beyond that will just be nonsensical ramblings that will keep us here all night. So instead, how about we just call it the end, toss out some plugs, and say goodbye. Okay. (laughs) Thanks for listening. This is your first episode. Way to pick a beginner, dude. (laughs) Good job. There are three other parts to this that you should go back and listen to if you somehow stumbled upon this one first. If this is also your first time listening or you're just getting to the end of the Tetra Saga and this is your first couple episodes, we got like 55 more. Yeah, there's so many to check so... out. Our Twitch Plays Pokemon episode is going to be up by this hearing. Yep. That's yeah, a great episode. That episode was fucking bit. hysterical. This was our longest series, right? Maybe, I think so. Parts? Maybe time-wise, but yeah. we did a, we did a no. three PR, we did a three-parter on the ESRB, and then it went to the two-parter for Brown okay. Education. Count those, but five, I don't, I don't but... really count. Those are different because yeah. there's such a. It's just that one kind of leads the conversation for the other. But yeah. this, this will be our biggest one that we've tackled so far. Uh, thank you for listening. You can find a lot more episodes at our website, hotbuttoncast.com. There we have links to our social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at HotButtonCast. 
We also have all of our feeds. We got Podbean and iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and all the other ones. Review on iTunes, remember? Review, like, yeah, yes. right, right, rate review, review on iTunes. On iTunes. Some new ones go up. It's uh, yes, if you like the podcast, also if you like the podcast, subscribe on some of those services. Yeah, Just subscribe on all of them. <laughs> and as we've said, I think at the end of every one of these parts, there's also a link to our YouTube. Keep an eye on that. We might have some stuff there in the future. Yeah. So with that, we're done. Play, play us out. Uh, funny enough, our outro music is Tetris. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean that. Like I said, I think I mentioned it in the first episode that I don't believe it's copyrighted because of like when the original piece was. Well, was whatever, written. it's a remix. But yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but thank but thank you guys very much. Like sincerely, yeah. it's uh, a great great yeah. series. Not to get not to get a lot. good story. You did thank a really you. good job here. Yeah. Thank you very much. us on the highs and lows. Yeah, it has been like a month since we started recording this. So <laughs> it's uh, you know you don't know how cathartic this. is to just fully let go of this story now for my brain. It's been on my and mind for so long. We will be back in two weeks with God Tetris knows... Tetris Part 2! With <laughs> God knows what. Or not Part 2, I was going to say Tetris 2, but oh yeah, I, where do we go from here? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, keep an eye out for whatever we got coming next. Yes, Thanks. Tetris 2 is okay. And thank you for listening. <laughs> All right. <laughs>